Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to The Suitcase and the Scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hi, everybody. Mike McKenna here co-host of The Suitcase and the Scribe, and I am The Suitcase, and this week is special because our usual scribe, Scott Burnside, uh, is on location. He is not able to join us this week, so we managed to find yet another suitcase to bring in and help co-host <laughs> this week, and it's Derek Nesbitt, uh, teammate of mine with the Peoria Rivermen years ago, longtime professional hockey player, over a thousand games played, hit that mark this year between the ECHL and the AHL games over in Europe as well. Uh, and just one of the all around great dudes and, and good friends of mine in the game. So Derek, welcoming you to the podcast. Happy to have you today. Uh, you know, you look back at, at this season and, and your career and did, did you ever really think you'd hit a thousand games pro just strictly in minor league hockey? <laughs> no. Uh, well, th- th- thanks for having me on too. It's, it's it's too bad Scott can't be here. He's an awesome guy. And I enjoy listening to you guys. So it's, it's a pleasure having me on. So, or, uh, it's a pleasure to be on. I mean, sorry. Thank you. Um, no, I don't think you set out for that. I've always said I wanted to play as long as I could. And I don't think you ever grew up at nine years old saying, I want to play a thousand games in the minors. <laughs> it's not, it's not, that's, you know, you usually dream, you don't nightmare. Right. So when you're a kid, so, uh, no, I, I obviously you always wanted to play in the NHL growing up. Um, I know those preseason games don't count. They will when I tell my son when he's a little older, but, um, no, it's, uh, but at the same time, I think I've said at this point, the most probably the favorite individual thing I've accomplished, I think is just longevity and, and able mm-hmm. to play that long. Cause it's, um, I, I think you, 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 you understand that once you start hearing from certain people that reach out and you're just like, Holy, okay, this is pretty cool because if this person's giving me props for this and that, that's, that's a, a pretty cool feather in the cap. So um, now either way, I mean, it's, it's a long time. I've loved every minute of it. Otherwise you can't do it that long. You know that. So, yeah. um, but no, it's not like, not like a goal I set out for, but I'm, I'm pretty happy. with. It's kind of amazing to think how life circumstances leads to 
these situations. You know, I mean, from we were just talking about it off air before we went on of how we are now entering hockey player marriage season. You know, yeah. like, you know, you just hit nine years. I'm about my wife and I are about to hit 10 years and we're going to go off on a quick trip to wine country in Missouri. Uh, I mean, like even your situation to me, looking from the outside was kind of predicated on the fact that you've got a pretty good gig down in the Atlanta area, you know, that you yeah. were able to uh, meet somebody who's making a living, you know, on her own as well. And you can do your thing and get a life together. Like, dude, that's, that's really not unique to a lot of people that we meet in the game. I find like we hear these stories fairly often. No, for sure. Um, I, I mean, I started here in 05 and I, I didn't meet my wife. I, I had, uh, um, as you go through your pro career, I mean, it's been 17 years. So, you know, I, I ended up staying here my first year, um, as part of the summer, because I had obviously at the time met a girl, I had a girlfriend for a little while down here and I, that never worked out, but I, I kept staying down here because at the time the thrashers were still here. Mm-hmm. So there were still like, there were some summer skates where guys to train with. We had some guys still sticking around here. And that's um, when it was the Gwinnett gladiators of the ECHL. Correct. Back yeah. Then. Yeah. Which we haven't moved and our, our practice facility, which is the one I'm the hockey director at now was the thrashers practice facility. So we were all ingrained there and, and there was guys to skate with guys I've made friends with for a long time that stayed here in the summer, like Chris Thorber and Eric Bolton. Like those are guys that I ended up training with in the summer, um, skating a lot with. And then we had kept guys around. There were other guys that still lived here that were playing elsewhere, maybe Europe. It's a good crew in the summers. Um, so it wasn't just random that I just stayed in a, you know, the, the not hockey market. There was a lot going on. Um, I didn't meet my wife until, the summer of 2010 um, what I just met her. And then we, we kind of had started dating more in 11 and then we got married in 2013 where um, if we would have went to the finals with Wilkes, I might've been close to missing that wedding. Yeah. <laughs> we run said. that risk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and I know we were going to get to that probably, but um, yeah, it's uh, but to, she's never moved with me anywhere. Um, she's stayed and, and been a hairstylist since I've met her and before that. So she's always had a business here and has never, never stopped that to, to come with me. And it's always, I've, I've left and come back and this has been our summer home. And it's, uh, after I did the one year in Europe, which was the second year of our marriage, I only saw her, I think it was 17 or 18 days out of that seven months where she made two short trips overseas um while keeping things going here um and then after that i came back and had an opportunity to stay here and play atlanta and the the coach at the time was a former teammate of mine and he was already involved in youth hockey so he said i could you know probably help you get involved in that if it helps you stay here and i said absolutely and see what happens and seven years later i'm playing and youth hockey director and my wife's still working and we have another house and uh or we now have moved we have a new house and uh, we have a three-year-old. So people are always fascinated to hear the minor league stories. You know, they don't really know what's <laughs> behind the curtain because, and I don't mean like the crazy stuff. I just mean the, the life aspect of it. You know, how much Reality. do you make, you know, can, yeah. can you make a living? <laughs> like how do these people in the ECHL scrape by? Like, well, you're, you're showing how like you, you play in the winter time. ECHL players typically will, you know, run hockey camps or do something in the summer to, to help 
fill that void. And, you know, if, if you end up marrying somebody that's got a good job too, like you can make a good living doing it, it works. So you're yeah. a perfect example of it. And I, you know, you, you talked about almost missing, like running up against the wedding. Like I can remember a couple of times planning summer vacations in early June and being like, oh gosh, we better get the travel insurance on this. Like yeah, we had one to we had one to Mexico that I was like, oh, this is like June 7th, that we're we're screwed if we <laughs> if we go to the finals. But I was on a team that I didn't think it was even gonna make playoffs. So uh we got lucky on that. And speaking of playoffs, we gotta get onto it here, man, because the Stanley Cup was awarded this week. The Tampa Bay Lightning fell to the Colorado Avalanche uh in in what I think a lot of people thought was going to be a, a closer series than it was. It did go six games, Colorado taking the win on Tampa Bay's ice. Uh, when you think back on this series, Derek, like what do you think were some of the overarching, you know, themes and elements that eventually led to Colorado's win against Tampa Bay? I, I mean, right away, to me, it sticks. I was the amount of ozone time they have. Um, they, <laughs> I mean, you, this, you know, the best defense or whatever this, you know, the best offense, a good defense, but when you have the puck in the offensive zone that often and the way their D are so active and not just Kale McCarr, who's arguably one of the best players in the world now, but they're also active in it. And they, the way they possess and reload and get above the puck and, and continue to cycle and beat it down low and get shots through and cover. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing against a team like Tampa who, we don't have to, I mean, go any further there. A team like Tampa, who's won it the last few years and is again in the, in the finals. It's a matchup I wanted to see in the finals going in. I thought that'd be pretty cool to see Tampa back. I, I was I was all for Tampa. Keep this going. Like moderate today, in this day and age, for us to watch hockey and go, are we really going to see a true dynasty like an Islanders, Oilers? Was, it's yeah. it's not set up for that anymore, right? With right, because that but, takes like three in a row. It's not two in a yeah. row. You got to win three in a row to get that right. dynasty label. Right. So, but man, I've just the amount of time in their zone, it was nuts. Um, it was so impressive to watch it. It's um, how much, you know, how much do you think from your perspective of being a forward and me being a goalie, I don't have a real frame of reference for this, but when you, when you see the injury sheet come out for the Tampa Bay lightning and you're looking at Sorelli with two bum shoulders, McDonough with a mangled finger points, got a quad tear Kucherov and, and Paul both, I believe had MCL sprains and there's a meniscus there from somebody on the team, like Kucherov. Yeah. Or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, like how, how can you battle through that as a forward and how much does that truly affect your play? Cause it looked like to me, you know, I didn't know how beat up Tampa was. We knew they were, but not to the extent. They just looked like they couldn't keep up. I mean, did the injuries eventually take over to the point that you just can't be able to bring it against the team? I think for sure. Um, I, I mean, on a different scale, like that was kind of the demise of our season. So I got to kind of do it firsthand. We had a lot of guys that we didn't get back for first round of playoffs with the team we were playing in Jacksonville did. They were healthy. Well, as healthy as we know. They were, but they had their full lineup anyways. Um, we did not. We had guys still playing hurt. We had one of our top scorers that even couldn't play in the last game was trying to – and it's it's just to the point where the, there's a style of game you each guy plays. And once that injury takes over what they're trying to do, it's very – now Now these guys adjust so well to, to doing whatever it takes – but when it takes away from being able to do whatever it takes, like you see it, look at dry I mean, someone called him in the media. I remember it was the, the best uh, 
stationary player in the NHL because he had <laughs> the best bag like, leg in the league. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, and he made it work. But imagine he didn't have to do that, mm-hmm. like, and he was that good already. Imagine if he was healthy. Yeah, um, I don't his, think his skill sets, his mind, his hands, and like, oh. and it's not that he's a bad skater, but. You know, if you take Braden Point skating away, where's his effectiveness? Oh, it's and it was was a quad tear. Is that what it was? Yeah. Yes. I mean, no way. Like the fact that he was even shown skating in the mornings by himself, and and I was like, he looks pretty good, and he always looks good. Yeah. But it's the difference now for him where you see him driving wide, and a guy they put a little pressure on him. There, it's added weight on that quad. It's, it's, you know, the, it's the things that those guys look fine doing when they know they're just skating circle, doing a drill. Now you throw the variable of a turnover, a change of possession, a stop and go, something happens where they're not ready for it and have to react. That's when that muscle or whatever that injury is, you could see really affects you in, in, in cases like that. And that's where once it comes game time, it's a, it's a completely different animal for those guys. I mean, you go mind over matter. We can get through a lot of things, but yeah. below the surface level, it eventually affects you. It really does. I mean, even it's amazing to think that Nazem Kadri couldn't tie his skates in yeah. the final. <laughs> he had the athletic trainer yeah. tying his skates because his hand, his thumb was incapable of doing it. Like to think that he was able to blow through two Tampa defenders put a puck underneath the bar. I believe that was yeah. game three. I want to say or game two, it might've been, you know, that's, that's yeah. kind of superhuman stuff. And then like his interview afterwards, did you had to see the viral clip? Like, Oh yeah. I, I was, I watched it all, but, but until the air, until it goes off the air, I always stay up every night. And I, I want to see that stuff. So when Nas Kadri looks at the camera and tells the world to kiss his ass, like <laughs> what went through your head? <laughs> ah, good for him. I mean, it's, uh, and you, you've been in the NHL and, ha- and you've seen the media, you've played in Vancouver, you've seen the media on a different level. And I even at a, at a smaller level, like we've all wanted to tell anyone in the media that at some point, right? Because if exactly. something they wrote, we see it, it's tagged in it. We're, ta- it, you know, like if you go on social media, it's popping up when, if you don't have millions of followers, you're going to see everything someone says or, or whatever it is. And, and, there's always, there's always someone you want to really shove it to. And, uh, <laughs> he said a lot and all, and all he went through in the St. Louis series and, and, and beyond that, but, um, whatever, good for him. He's, he's got the platform to say it. He's got the, he's got the ring on his finger or well, will be, but he's got, he's got the cup now. Have at it, man. The, say what the, you want. The best part of it for me was how he sold it. Like he looked at the camera right as he said <laughs> yeah. it. Okay. And like, you, you know, you and I have, we've really bonded over the years and this is a side tangent, but we both love yeah. professional wrestling or sports right. entertainment. Take your pick yeah, on yeah. how we're going to call it <laughs> that. But um, it was almost like he was cutting a promo, you know, like he's looking right. at the interviewer and then he turns right to the camera at the punchline and goes, kiss my ass. And it yeah. was, it was as like you're not supposed to do in wrestling, right? You don't break the fifth wall or whatever. It's just, so, but yes. he did, and and that was that's the money shot right there. I yeah. mean, it was it, it, it was almost like he just <laughs> he knew he had the platform to just do whatever he wanted. I loved it, man. Like, and that's you yeah. know the honesty that comes out is is pretty cool in those moments. You know, thinking about like Nathan McKinnon just wanted to hug his dad, you know, yeah. and and yeah. Eric Johnson was, I mean, just overwhelmed. You know, like I, I I look at those moments and think, man, like 
for someone like myself that never won a championship, it came close a couple of times going to the finals in the American Hockey League. Man, you put your whole life into this stuff. And like Nezzy, even for people, I, try to, I tell this to people all the time that even at the ECHL level, the AHL level, like winning a championship is something that you wear on your sleeve the rest of your life. You know, yeah. and and you've been a part of that. Like you've won an ECHL championship before. Like, you know, when you look back on the year that you won with the Idaho Steelheads and your teammates there, you know, is there still that sense of like almost brotherhood and accomplishment that you guys did something special together? Uh, big time. I ha- I hadn't been back there. Uh, we won that in 07. It's my second year pro. We was at the conference finals. We beat you guys. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, we okay. lost in Vegas. Our Las Vegas Wranglers but, lost. <laughs> we lost in the, you know what? We lost in the second round. The two years I played in the ECHL, uh, the first year okay. to the Alaska Aces, the second year to the Idaho Steelheads, your team. Oh, and that was both second teams, round. Okay. Yeah. But both teams went on to win the championship. So it made me feel better about myself. Right. So that first year, you lost to Alaska. They beat us and Gwinnett in the finals. So my mm-hmm. first year, I lost to Alaska in the finals. My second year being in Boise, we beat them and then got to go on and beat Dayton in the finals. So there's um, double satisfaction there to get revenge. And then also, it wouldn't have been as sweet if I didn't go on to win it, obviously. But um, yeah, that group, um, I wasn't back there. I went back there in two, November of 15 because I... Uh, my first year back here playing in Atlanta, I, well, I couldn't believe when the schedule came out, we were going to Boise. And I was like, this is phenomenal. Like this couldn't be, this couldn't be any better. Um, it a little bit similar to here, Corey Scorn, who played for us as a hockey director there at their practice facility. Um, he's been there ever since got married, has a family. He's still there. I got to see him. Marty Flickle who lived there then still lives there now has his family there. Got to go with him, his wife and have dinner and, um, but they all the live beast. in Boise, Idaho. Who would ever? They guess, all live you know? in Boise, but not what a town, though. Like uh, yeah. Yabo, Yabo lived there for years. I know he's Jeremy Yablonski. Yabo lived there for years. Birdie lived. Scott Bird lived there for years. Um, Daryl Hay, Jeremy Milmock was there a lot. There's a lot of guys there. So, um, but just to keep in touch with a lot of that crew over the years and the guys we did the uh, and right before. And I don't know if you had heard this or not, but the uh, uh, the shout out to the to the late great Lance Galbraith, mm-hmm. who just passed away on April fourteenth. Um, One of the hardest bastards I've ever played against. It was he's the best teammate of all time. Um, the the abs he absolutely willed us every single night in that playoff. He was the best is an absolute winner. Um, quick story. Our coach is Derek Blackstall, who has been in Dallas the last handful of years. And um, He's the assistant coach Gallagher. there the past several years under Rick Bonus and under Jim Correct. Montgomery prior to that. Yep. Exactly. So Lax coached me in Texas with the stars. We went to the okay, he was, finals. Okay. I mean, he's a winner. There you yeah. go. <laughs> he is a winner. Yeah. He, so a great story about Galvi to, to be quick here, but you Galvi wasn't the, he wasn't the, uh, uh, not who you picture visually as a, as a professional athlete. Let's just put it that way. Right. Like he, he just got it done straight will and heart and, and, and courage. Um, and, and was so smart, but he 
Laxey asked him the one day, guys were going up into the gym. Galvi, why don't, why don't you go up there with those guys and actually join them in the gym for a change? And he said, Laxey, he goes, I don't need to lift any weights. The only one I lift every year is in June. And he starts going like this. With the cup over and, his head. Yeah. And sure enough, <laughs> sure enough, he, he willed us and, and, and carried us on his back right to a championship <laughs> that year for his. He's a Mem Cup winner. He's a two-time, three-time Kelly Cup winner. In the ECHL yeah. winner. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. So he anyways, was the just, hardest guy I ever played. Oh. I mean, just all over the crease. Like, I mean, really kind of a Corey Perry type. I think real similar to that. Um, yeah. Where, you know, you're you're constantly a rat. You're in the mix. But Galbraith would actually fight. Like, Perry, I, don't, I don't see oh. Perry drop the mitts a whole lot. Galbraith would fight. And he was, oh, yeah. he was scary when his wires would cross, man. And yeah. Calculated, I, though, too, though. Yeah. Yeah, and that was the era when things were pretty wild for us. We'd have the three ring circus going on on the ice with three oh, yeah. fights at once. <laughs> it was a different ball game. We were in the wrong yeah. league, man. Yeah. <laughs> that, but was you know, like, I, that was the best line mate I could have had at that time. Yeah. Just, you just felt so safe with him. Yeah. And it was, touched, but he was so good. You touched on coaches a little bit and, and yeah. you know, given, given props to Derek Laxdahl, who um, it'll be interesting to see where he lands this year. He was let go by Dallas. Um, I think. One of the storylines for me that I really like to watch with the Colorado Avalanche was the rise of Jared Bednar and him winning a championship at the NHL level, winning a Stanley Cup after previously winning the Calder Cup uh, with the Lake Erie Monsters as a Columbus Blue Jackets affiliate several years ago. He wins an ECHL title, uh, I believe, with South Carolina, a team that he played for for years. And you and I both played for Jared Bednar. You had him with the Peoria Rivermen. I actually had him um, a couple of years later with the Springfield Falcons in an assistant role under Brad Larson, who's now the head of the Columbus Blue Jackets, which really makes this Mike McKenna six degrees thing come into perspective here. Um, <laughs> but like your impressions of Jared Bednar as a coach when you had him in Peoria, because I loved him as an assistant, but I oh. didn't get to have him as a head. He was awesome, man. Um, part of that new age, I think he, he had that figured out real early. He was ahead of the curve on understanding that you, it was, it was the game's changing to, we're coaching 24 individuals. Now we're not coaching one person or one a player, right? It's not as a team. Like as much as they're coaching a team, he still understood that every single guy was different. And there was a different way to get to each guy. There was a good example. That was probably my second year with him. And, and um, him and this, and, uh, is, this is 20, 11, 11 or so. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we're talking 10, 10 years ago here. He's ahead of the exactly. Curve. So we're uh, uh, TJ Hansek and Panda. Yeah. He, and he, he, you know, strong minded, you know, our best player, obviously by far, one of the best players in that league, um, still a phenomenal player. Him and Benzi would, would go toe to toe a little bit, but Benzi liked it. Hensick liked it. They loved each other, but it was, you know, you should have got that puck deep. Well, I, I scored 70 points. Like I, I, you know, like I saw something there, I'm going to make a play, you know, and guys are going to back me up, you know, it, it would, they'd go at it a little bit. And, and there was a time, um, it happened a couple of times. He wanted to, and Benzie wasn't shy to kind of text the, uh, call it the leadership group, some older guys and Hey, where are you guys at? I want, I want to come meet with you guys and let's talk about some stuff, you know, and 
So it, it was, it was near the end of the year and there's a knock on my door in my apartment and Hensick lived right next to me. And, and I opened the door and, and Betsy stand there with, with, with beer, with a case of beers. And I'm going, Hey, what's going on? He goes, Hey, where's Hensick? I said, he's next. He goes, is that his, he goes, yeah, I knocked on the door. I said, I texted him and I think he went, I don't know if he was in the shower or bathroom or something, but he said he heard a knock, wasn't sure who it was. And I said, well, it's Betsy. I said, come on over here. He came over and he just wanted to sit and have a few beers and, and not to be one of the guys. Cause we had that respect. For, and that was the thing. Like we had no problem doing that with him, but going the next day and, and go, we got to work for this guy. Like he's doing this for us. Not, not to be one of us. He's really trying to, to will us, you know, get us on board to what mm-hmm. he's doing. And we need to pay attention here, but it's it, soon enough. It got, I think Paddle Sullivan came down and, he ended up sitting with us. Brennan Evans lived down the other side of us. He came over and cracks was walking his dog. And, and then he sits down and as soon as there's five or six of us and who are the old, you know, veteran guys, I guess on the team at the time that, that he would, he would bounce things off of and talk about stuff. What do you think of this? What do you think of this? What, you know, like he wasn't shy to take that into consideration and not go, it's my way or the highway, but we respected that because of the way he did it. And he's had a way about that. You can hear the guys talking about him where I know that's exactly the same way they think of him as how we thought of him. That like you, you lose a game and you're like, like you just, you really let it down. Like you weren't just like, Oh, he's going to be pissed. What's he going to do? You're like, we really let Betsy. Like that's too bad. Like as fiery of a competitor as Nathan McKinnon is, I have to think Jared Bednar is the perfect coach for him. Oh, absolutely. You know, like, yeah, like having somebody who can forge a relationship that's professional and honest and driving towards the person that you're sitting across the table from, but having that respect and knowing ultimately that person's not out to get you, they're trying to help you. Like that's such, that's such a skill, man. And like, think about the coaches, like, like think of Bednar, like he comes from the ECHL, man. Like you have to absolutely grind to know what it's yeah. like to come from that league. And there's no air of ego about him. You know, like, None. I mean, Betsy's got a couple nice suits, but it's not every <laughs> suit. You know what I mean? Like he's still got yeah. some workman like in him. Right. And he'll throw yeah. a flat brim ha- hat on and practice and have some fun. Right. And like, I don't know, man, I think that's the way the, ga- the game's going. And, and I even see the way, you know, John Cooper relates to his players. It seems like it's kind of in a similar manner that if these, old, if some of these old school coaches can't learn from the guys that are winning right now, like yeah. we're seeing them go away for a reason. If you ask me. I agree. And I, not to bring it back to him coming over for beers, but I look at those two guys. It's like, and this is maybe such a minor league way of looking at this, but you look at Betsy Cooper and, and those are the guys who are winning, but they're also the two, two coaches where you're like, I'd love to grab a beer with that guy. Yeah. And shoot. And, and, and just ham it up. And there's still coaches that you're like, no, I, you know, you'd see him in the restaurant or something, go out, we got to get out of here, not go by say, Hey, how's it going? Hey, we were here first. You know, like that, (laughs) that was always the thing there. Like who's, who's getting to the spot first and who's Mm going to take it over, but you could sit and chat with them. But there's, there's that, they're so good at, like you said, that median of respect to business. And they get that out of those guys where you said with McKinnon, Betsy's the um, perfect amount of chill where, he can look probably look McKinnon in the eyes and go after he's on a rant and maybe, you know, like you could tell, and I don't, I don't know him, but I'm assuming by what everyone says and what you see, 
because he he wears it on his sleeve too. Yeah. Is that a, he probably comes in, Betsy will sit back, listen to him, probably go, you know, go on a tyrant, and then Betsy just kind of he'll have that little smirk on his face. Go, all right, like let you know, like I know exactly you what you mean. Yeah, yeah, you, I can see this happening for sure. Release your demons, <laughs> yeah. and then I'll come back at you, and I will calm you down and bring you back yeah. to center. Um, he's so just, good at it. Yeah, and he just did such a good job as that series went along. Uh, it, it wasn't Colorado counterpunching in any way. I mean, they had to come up with some solutions to tactical changes that Tampa made from Tampa the way they, you know, they, Colorado just suffocated Tampa in the off- yeah. in their offensive zone in Tampa's D zone. Yeah. And you know what Tampa does? They just start flipping pucks out, like going downfield and Colorado adjusted to it. Like they just, they made those little tweaks and that's always driven by your head coach uh, with great supporting staff. uh, Nolan Pratt also in Colorado and, uh, and Ray Bennett, both, you know, long time at this point, NHL um, coaches. And it's just, it's fun to watch it. I'm so happy to see him win. And of course you don't do it without yeah. generational talent though. I mean, Gabriel Landeskog right. said after the game, which might've been really the beyond Kadri's yeah. money quote, I think Landeskog's might've been the most prescient that he was asked, how do you, how do you win like this? How do you become this good? And he just said, get yourself a Kale McCarr. Like, yeah. like Nezzy, if you're playing against Kale McCarr, somebody that can skate forward and backward as well as that, that can handle the puck, where does it begin? Like, how do you how do you even begin trying to assess how to play against a Kale McCarr? Is it even offensive? Is it purely defensive if you're trying to contain him? I don't know. Is it is it the Herb Brooks where you where <laughs> you don't defend him, you attack him? I don't know. You know the old the old 1980 Russian series. I I mean, I don't know, man. It's yeah. You hope he leaves his skate guards on, maybe? I, like, I don't know. <laughs> what do you, I mean, he might get what, better. That's the scariest thing. I, I know. And it's oh, – it was I, I was listening to uh, – again, I told you, I listened to a bunch of hockey podcasts. I, and I, it was, someone said, like, if this guy – what's scary about him, if he wanted to play forward next year, he might win a Selkie. <laughs> just put him in forward. You know, yeah. like, if he really wanted to go, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play forward next year. I'm gonna win a Selkie. I'm gonna be second team All Star, and then I'll go back to D again and win yeah. a Norris again. And like, if he wants to start doing things that no one's ever done before, like he's I, he's the one guy that can do it. That's hilarious, man. I actually had somebody, you know, that somebody that doesn't know anything about hockey, not to their yeah. fault at all. You know, it was a neighbor yeah. line in St. Louis. Uh, and St. Louis is a baseball town through and through. And at one point they asked me if, you know, I could switch from goaltender and yeah. it, it blew my mind. Like, cause within hockey, we know that's, that's not happening. I mean, if you've ever right. seen me cr- try to cross over, like, <laughs> okay. So it's not a transferable <laughs> skill set, but I forget that in baseball, like you'll have players that'll be a catcher yeah, and you know, the next year, well, we'll put them at third base. Like yeah, it, it's a really, it is really unique in hockey that, more or less from a young age, once you kind of specialize to position, you really don't deviate from it. You know, like the, the Brent Burns is of the world that start a pro career as a forward and transition yeah. to D or, or even in junior hockey. Like, isn't that funny how that really doesn't happen in our sport very often? It is wild. I mean, and Brent Burns is a first round pick, right? Like, or was he first round or second? Early. He was, he was early. Yeah. yeah. So it, it is amazing. I know, uh, I know Chris Versteeg played in the dub and he played defense for a year or two under, under one of the Sutter brothers, I believe. 
they threw him on defense for a bit. So he was always a guy when I played with him in Rockford where you'd throw him back there late in the game or he was on the power play. And it was like, well, he can go back and pick up pucks and break the puck. It was like, Oh, I used to play D it's like, okay, no kidding. So uh, funny enough, we talk about this, but as we mentioned, my career, the last few years being the older guy in this league, and you know, the ECHL all of a sudden two injuries and a call up. And all of a sudden you got three D men and a local men's league guy that you're calling up and, and it's like, Hey, who can play D? And I'm like, well, put me back there. Like I'll do. And I, I spent a month, a few years ago playing D um, when uh, Chuck Weber was our coach here. And I said, I'll do it. I've done it a lot on the power play. I said, I'll, I'll do it. I'll figure it out. And, and you do, I wasn't scoring, but that's how good you could see where Makar is, is that I'm a, I, I honestly believe he, he would be one of the best forwards in the league. If he went and played for it, that's how yeah. good he is. It's, it's absurd. It is very hard to adjust. Um, and I had to do it at this level, which wasn't as hard knowing the game as long as I have, like it was easy to just stay within myself and do that. But he would be so next level with playing wing or teach him how to take face-offs. Who knows? I mean, it would, I mean, and nowadays it's he, he can play wing and not take face-off because anyway, when you come back in the D zone, it's F1's low anyway, it's not the center. So it's amazing what this guy is going to do in the next decade and a half um it's it's going to be scary a lot of hardware think you know what it made me it made me remember my time at st lawrence university and our best player my freshman year through the end was rich peverly and peverly went on to win a stanley cup at the boston bruins um, had a great nhl career going until it was cut short by a heart condition that um, took it you know took him off the ice and now he's in the dallas stars upper management and somebody I expect to be a GM someday, just an incredibly, incredibly intelligent hockey mind, but Pev's yeah. for whatever reason, it was his sophomore year. I don't know what was up with our coaching staff, but they chucked him on D and I remember <laughs> just thinking, what is going on here? And, and even him, he's like, I've never done this in my life. And, but he could skate so well. And he saw the game that, you know, he, he thrived in it and it didn't last yeah. long, but I've always yeah. wondered it's something that someday I want to ask Rich is, how did that make you see the game differently? Because oh, I, I would bet that it gave him some perspective um, of what it's like to come up the ice from deep in his own, you know, the things that a goalie sees, which I saw. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I'd love to ask him that someday. And before we move on, I do want to give a quick, you know, acknowledgement here to Darcy Kemper, Pavel Francois, the goalies of the Colorado Avalanche. Um, you know, for Darcy Kemper, what an affirmation of a career and, and grinding through several injuries and playoffs and, uh, I, you know, when you play for a team like Colorado, it, it, your goal, your job as a goalie, and I say this with all utmost respect to Kemper, you just don't want to screw things up. You know, this was the first time it felt like in forever that a goalie was, you know, kind of riding shotgun to his teammates. You know, typically, Nezzy, like we look at the goalies to really have to carry the mail, to steal games, yeah. to do this. And, you know, I, th- I thought for Kemper, he had one big game in the in the finals. And it was huge for him. And then he made one or two huge stops late in the game in game six. And man, like, you yeah. know, these moments as a player where you can just feel it, that you're going to win and that you've got what it takes. Like to me, I saw that in Kemper in game six, uh, late in the game on a save on Kucherov coming across the crease. And so I know that's something he'll probably hang his hat on. He's going to get paid this summer. It's his, uh, it's his yeah. UFA year. I hope he does. And congrats to him. <laughs> um, and so Moving along here, before we head off to talk a little coaching, we got to say, 
Suitcase and the Scribe is brought to you by DoorDash, the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of Podcasts, restaurants and more delivered right to your door. And I know for Nezzy and myself, DoorDash has saved us a few times here in the playoffs, making sure that we've got a hot meal waiting for us when we're watching all that hockey. And if you use the promo code in Canada, D-F-O-D-D, that'll get you 25% off your first order and free delivery, D-F-O-D-D-U-S. In the United States, we'll do the same. Thanks to DoorDash, proud sponsor of the Nation Network of Podcasts, and of course, the Suitcase in the Scribe. You know, I, I I think we look at the Cup Finals, and it's always the turning point because now we've got the draft and free agency. And then everybody goes on break for a month and a half. They just go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like by mid mid July, uh, and we touched on how now we've hit the hockey off season. The marriages are happening. The the tributes to anniversaries are coming through because really like we only have that month and a half to to get married and take care of it. So you were seeing those come through. Um, But at the same time, you also have hirings that still need to take place. And in the NHL this past week, we saw the Chicago Blackhawks hired Luke Richardson as their head coach, replacing Derek King. Um, Nezzy, I thought this was kind of an interesting hire. Uh, I don't know if you know Richardson at all. Um, he'd been the assistant coach with the Montreal Canadiens. He had been a head coach previously with the Binghamton Senators. Uh, he came into the Senators the year after I played there in 10-11. And, you know, I thought Richardson was probably the heir to the throne in Ottawa eventually. It didn't go great in Binghamton. Uh, and then he ends up in Montreal as an assistant. And now he's the head in Chicago. So, you know, when you look at the the arc of that organization and who they've hired what do you think the message is by hiring Richardson in Chicago? I, I mean, there's a lot of changes there in Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that know. organization I mean, couldn't be any lower right now. Honestly. Right. I mean, they're bringing in a guy who, and from what I've heard, and I don't, I don't know him. I've never, uh, I, I know him as a kid watching him as a player. He's a big, mean tough stay home D for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, What I've heard is how good he is with the young kids, which if they're rebuilding, call it rebuilding. I know you don't like to say that when you have a cane to bring it to those guys, but if that's the reality of it is bringing up these young guys and teaching them, then he's been doing that. The American league has been doing a heck of a job. He was in Montreal. They were a young group. He did a great job there where I think, would put him, I, not to put him on the radar, but what when he took over in the COVID year in the in the playoffs for Ducharme, when Ducharme was out a couple of games with COVID, I mean he ran the bench. They said they love how he ran the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was more than seasoned back there. Uh, guys responded to him obviously, um, got a lot out of them. So, um, but at the same time, I think he's a guy who's been there, done that, so can relate to Kane Taves the brink of deal, the, you know, the guys there that they really need on board. It's, I think it, from what I heard, it's a, it's a perfect mix of the young and, or the, the young and old or the old and new. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I have to imagine that's, that's what, that's what hooked them in there. I think there's a respect level, like you said, and that matters with young players. Like I, you know, you can go down the list of guys that never played in the NHL, but I think there is still some gravity to having somebody who's played there before, especially in a yeah. rebuilding state. Um, and you even look at some of the names that are floating around out there right now for the remaining head coaching positions. You've got Boston that still needs a coach. Detroit still needs a coach. Winnipeg. And 
you know, some of the names you're hearing, you're hearing Jim Montgomery, you're hearing David Quinn, Jay Leach. Like it's this, it's kind of that younger relatable generation of coaches. And, and I'm curious to see where a lot of them land because, you know, I've kind of been beating the Jay Leach drum for a while. We were teammates in a lot of places and um, he was an assistant with the Kraken this year, which I'm not sure that's going to help him get a job anywhere considering how the season went, but I, I think really highly of him. I'm, I think he'll be ahead eventually. Um, I'm curious from your perspective of the hires that have already happened, thinking about Cassidy in Vegas, uh, Tortorella in Philadelphia, DeBoer in Dallas. Which of those catch your eye? I, I, do you think that you know any of them are really, one, were they a surprise? And two, do you think they're really going to change the dynamic of those teams when they walk through the doors? Tortorella's got to be the most intriguing for everyone, right? Because mm-hmm. we want to hear him talk more. <laughs> <laughs> we we want to see him with the media as much as we can, good or bad, indifferent, whatever. Um, but yeah, there's obviously flyers are, and you've been in that organization. They're always wanting to win now. They don't want to rebuild. That's right. That's a, that's an organization for years who has never wanted that label. Um, uh, you see a guy tweets out right away. Atkinson loves it. Obviously he was a, he was a Tortorella guy. Yeah. He played um, for him in Columbus. He had his best years under Tortorella in Columbus. He did. He went to Correct. bat for Columbus. He went to bat for Tortorella with GM Chuck Fletcher in exit meetings. So yes. there's, there there's a connection there, right? You can, you can see some underlying things as to why this could be a good thing. I think with Atkinson, um, he's got that crew there with, Hey, they're all BC guys, right? There's a, mm-hmm. there's a couple Boston college guys. So I think they have a lot of respect for Atkinson who in turn could go, no, this is our guy. Like this is going to be it. I think that I, I don't, I think it's a good thing. I don't, is, is Tortorella going to, you know, change his ways like everyone wants to see. I don't know. Does he have to? I don't know that either. I've never, I've never been got the pleasure of, you know, getting beat down by him in training camp, and the, <laughs> you know, with the stories you hear, but but at the same time, there's a lot of people who really do seem to like. Him. There's the ones that don't, but you know who the players just... are that like Tortorella. They're the ones that are willing to work, right? And that's sure. ultimately what you want a team of, right? Like I... if you're the Philadelphia Flyers <laughs> and you don't know what you have in your locker room, is there any greater litmus test than John Tortorella? Uh, for sure, I, I I like it. I and I, I that's from no experience at all with him. I just. It'll, that'll be interesting. Um, the the DeBoer connection is obviously, I think, a big one there is I have to think Joe Pavelski went to bat for him there, who had some of his best years in San, in San Jose. Mm-hmm. Um, they say DeBoer's, DeBoer lives off of, uh, wants to generate all his offense from point shots. Well, who's a forward in the league you'd rather have standing in front of the net if you're just going to be ripping pucks from the point than Joe Pavelski, right? I mean, why did, why was he so successful in, in San Jose under, under Pete DeBoer if that's the case of how they play? Perfect. Well, he wants that. I mean. Um, Is there anybody more excited than Miro Heiskanen right now? Well, yeah, seriously. Him and Klingberg, right? I mean. Well, it, it depends if. That's, may not, well, that's true. Unfortunately, that's true. I mean, like Klingberg may walk, but like Heiskanen, man, like Asa Lindell, you're thinking of these guys just going, it's cookie time here. It's like Absolutely. if you're Heiskanen, you wish you would have waited a couple of years to get <laughs> DeBoer for your new contract with him as the head right. coach, right? Like, that's, there you go. That's a good yeah. call, too. I'm curious. So. so I'm curious with Vegas, man. Like I, I thought when they let DeBoer go, I mean, I wasn't that surprised given how that organization is. Um it's just cutthroat, man. And it kind of felt like when 
DeBoer let when DeBoer pulled Robin Leonard after one period uh, yeah. late in the season, it was kind of like him putting the stake in the ground thinking, well, it's me or him. Here we go. Um, right. But bringing Cassidy in is I, I thought immediately when Cassidy was let go by the Bruins, I'm like, this is it. Like he's going to go to Vegas. And sure enough, he was their guy like right away. And yeah, I don't know, man, like I think, fast. yeah. And I think for Cassidy, like, like, you know, Nezzy, how, how tough it can be to kind of be known as a power play guy in some ways, right? Like if you're a coach that can get special teams to go, they'll find a place for you in this game. And like, that's what Cassidy's known for. Like his power play has been top three in the NHL since he took over. And like with that skill set that they have in Vegas, there's, yeah, those players. There's just no way that team should be in the bottom third of the league with a power play. Like it, no. that's got to be structural, not player based. No matter how beat up they were last year, I just I couldn't accept the fact that they were that low in the league in the power play. Right, I mean, and power play too. I, there, there's a buy-in factor there, but but it, but I mean, he made. I mean, I don't know if there's more of a buy-in guy in the in the league than a Patrice Bergeron, though. Mm. Right, so those guys are following him. The things you hear about him, like. Pasternak, Marchant, they're going to do whatever he says. If the coach says something, I got to imagine they looked at Patrice Bergeron. If he doesn't flinch, they're going, okay, I'm all in. Now, obviously that power play, we've seen it in Boston for like years. Like you said, it was phenomenal. And there's good players there, but there's good players in every city, man. I I don't like that argument, you know, that, oh, they got got Bergeron and Marchant. Well, yeah, every team has a top line that needs to be able to get it done, man. But there's only one puck. And (laughs) When there's five guys in the ice who probably in that league, every team has five guys who can all call it quarterback it or should have the puck. Then, you know, who's going to be the guy willing to go, I'll just sit over here and don't, you know, I'll just, I'll bang home rebounds. I don't need to touch at all. I'll just bang home rebounds. Find a guy that can do that. Mark Stone can do that. Um, the way he is in front of the net or in the slot, he can play really anywhere on that. Eichel's obviously your half wall guy or trigger guy. He's gonna he's gonna be the guy that wants the puck in his hand. Um, Pacioretty can rip it. Um, Petrangelo up top. Like there, there's no way that's not a top five power play. Right. Like you said, there's no way. There's no way. If that's a Cassidy, if he's the the magic potion there, could be. I think you look at what hand all those guys are when you look at the hand of all the guys that are in Boston kind of matches up mm-hmm. where you got your, your Pasternak Eichel, you have your stone Bergeron, you have your Marshan Pacioretty. I don't, I don't know. Right. Like if mm-hmm. you're looking, is that just a, okay, let's move this over here. Maybe. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, that'll be interesting. But like you said, they Vegas has to win. Now that owner hates his money and, he's going to keep, he's going to keep throwing it away. So if you know, it's, 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 you know, who's next. So right. well, um, and I think that's a big storyline this year is can they just straighten out the culture in Vegas? Like they got to get that right. thing back on track. They got to have some stability. Like you just simply yeah. cannot keep chasing shiny objects. You got to think before you do things in this league and you can't run it like a junior team. Like you have to respect well, it's, the players. It's, it comes back around run it like an ECHL team where you're, you're, it's a new team every year. Like right. you, you can't it, guys, you know, like the ECHL, we joke it's here today, gone later today. Like mm. that can't be in the NHL. 
Right. Look at the Avalanche. They basically have had that same core for how long? And they had to and learn Tampa. how to lose before they could win. Same thing. Even yeah. Washington, St. Louis. Yes, like, for sure. You, you've got to trust your team at some point and let yeah. them grow as a group. And, of course, you have to make tweaks. Um, yeah. and, you know, one of the reasons, Nezzy, I'm so happy to have you be able to join today is your connection to youth hockey is real. Um, you know, working in the, in the Atlanta area and you can kind of describe your title if you'd like with yeah. what you do with the youth teams down there, but man, it's changed so much since we were kids. Like I'm 39. I know you've crossed the big four Oh Mark, uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, and you know, your family is for forever been ingrained with youth hockey with, you know, where you grew up and, and your dad opening the doors to the arena and everything that, that, that makes yeah. this sport kind of special. But boy, it's it's really changed, hasn't it? Like, what have you seen from the youth hockey level, good and bad, in the last you know several years that you've been so closely associated with it? Well, I'm I'm trying to figure out what the 13th month of the year is called because these kids, that's what they do is they play 13 months a year. They don't play 12. It's insane. It's it is. It's it's all day, every day. Um, they're wanting to know as soon as one season ends, what's next, what next program, when's the next clinic, when's the next camp, when can I do privates, which is awesome. It's it for, you don't want to sound hypocritical because if that wasn't the case, I couldn't make a living doing it. But at the same time, you, you don't want kids to burn out. Mm. You, you want to create athletes. You don't want to see, I'm one of the biggest things I've talked to a lot of our parents and, and, and stuff about is seeing so many kids at young ages now, getting injuries you would see in college athletes pro uh, and, and young pros is because once you get to pro or college, you start, it's, it's your job. You're skating year round. You're doing more. That's just hockey, just hockey all the time. And if you're not training the right way, you get the hip flexor, you get the groins, you get uh, knees bothering your backs bothering you. I'm seeing injuries now in 12 year olds that I'm going, I never heard of this until I was 22. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's all they're doing now. And as you know, like as, especially as a goalie, but skating and play is such an unnatural movement for human beings to skate all that, mu- that much all the time. If you're not taking a break or taking care of your body the right way, getting prepared to do that every day, you're going to cause some serious damage. And I don't want to see 12 year olds, 13 missing hockey games because of preventable injuries, mm-hmm. but the away from that though, the, the, the skill level is one thing everyone talks about. And it is, it's the game is changing to that where it is. How much can you do on your own? I'm still, I'm still crazy about wanting kids to pass the puck and get good at passing and respect passing the puck. So a lot of things I do will be very, I, I preach fundamentals big time. Um, to these kids where I used to the title, I'm, I'm the uh, director of hockey operations or youth hockey director with uh, the Atlanta Phoenix program. It's called at the ice form in Duluth. Um, um, so I don't coach a team. I'm, I kind of oversee, I'm in it. Uh, I, I don't coach team because obviously I haven't been able to playing and being on the road and stuff, but I just kind of oversee the program, help our coaches help out at practice when I can. Um, I, I run, camps, clinics in the summertime. Um, I work with a lot of kids with private lessons um, that a lot of kids that are, I focus a little more on because they're a little older that come back 
that are playing junior going away to college, stuff like that, where you can really dig into um, the meat of what their game's supposed to be. You know, like uh, I just had a group yesterday of all defensemen who are all, are all going to college in the next year or two. One's going to Anchorage, one to union, one to St. Lawrence Hmm. um, that is committed to St. Lawrence and they're all D. And I said, why don't we just get together? And I just do, let's just do retrievals, do regroups, do like, let's get specific on what we do rather than poise on the ice, stick handle through a yard sale. And, you know, just an obstacle course, which is fun for the younger kids. And I'm not going to, I do that. I do do some of that stuff because it is fun. And, but I always, I tell myself, I won't throw things on the ice as they call it in the, in the old sports group is the toys on the ice, get the toys off the ice, but I won't do it unless I explain to them how we can, I, I want to, I want to make it somewhat specific. I just don't want it to be, uh, you know, just, just go throw this out there and make it look good. Um, cause to me it doesn't, and I need to be the one that sleeps at night. So, um, it's wild, man. It's, it's so different from, you know, what we did was, Oh, it's, it's March season's over gear goes in the garage or the, the, the basement. And I'll, I'll see you in five months, mm-hmm. you know, I'll see the gear when I, when we were young, it's, it never goes away. Um, it's nonstop. It's awesome to see because it is cool because I'd love the game that much. And my three-year-old loves, he's starting to love the game that much where I, you know, I get to have him out there. So, you know, am I going to want him if he wants to go skating in June? Am I going to say no? No, right. he's going to go if he wants to do it. But it's going to be if he wants to do it. And that's that's the biggest thing too is I the message to parents is only do this if your kid wants to do it. There's there's nothing worse than getting a getting the calls and being like, hey, my son needs to do this, needs to do that. It's like, does he want to? Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to waste my time and your money. If your kid doesn't want to be out here, there's nothing worse than that. With, with my daughters, I mean, my, my six-year-old daughter is doing learn to play now. Yeah. My nine-year-old is going to be going into her third year of playing youth hockey. And even this spring and summer, you know, there's everything you can want is offered. You can play a full spring league. That's, yeah. I mean, five, $600 and on the ice three times a week and everything else, or you can play once a week or do Ponta and, I think the important thing was just presenting her options and letting her choose what she wanted to do or not do. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm glad that she chose to just play once a week, you know, yeah. And especially moving up to the squirt level 10 years, she's going to play full ice for the first time. Yeah. And, you know, she needed to learn rules. She needed to learn offsides and learn what it's like to skate the full distance. But man, for, in my heart of hearts, I really didn't want her to play a lot. Like I, I wanted her to just choose her path. And once a week seemed really good. You know, especially yeah. for spring or summer, it's enough for yeah. her to stay engaged with the sport without getting overloaded by it. So yeah. um, that part was important for me. And I think it is for all your parents, all parents, like just give your kids options, let them choose, yeah. let them guide their course. Um, you had, as we're wrapping here, a really cool moment this year where you played your thousandth game and you know, I'm not sure how the balls started to get rolling on it, but Paul Bissonnette <laughs> and you know, the rest of the spit and chicklets crew latched onto it and they made it a whole night and made it really special yeah. for you. I mean, I wish I could have been there first, I mean, yeah. but I, did it catch you off guard, you know, playing a thousand games in the minors to see this monolith in the hockey world right now, which is chicklets. Yeah. 
celebrate um, your accomplishment and, and make a whole deal out of it. And, you know, what was that whole evening like? It was very overwhelming because like you, this doesn't happen to guys like that attention. Um, so I was choked up a lot when the episode comes out, I'm sure they'll, anytime I shed a tear, I'm sure they'll put it on there for effect. And it was a lot because it was a lot. I don't, that doesn't happen. Like I said, to, to guys in this league and guys like me that, and it, it all, and like you said, where it all started was, uh, Biz had reached out when COVID happened and I, or I had said something or he had said something on the podcast about, you know, like think of these guys in the, in the ACHL where, you know, they just stopped getting paid where other leagues, you know, they have, you know, salaries like, Hey, we're paid day to day. They want to mm-hmm. cut you. You're done today. They don't owe you nothing. So when that, when the league shut down, so did our pay. And he said something about getting the fungal. And I was like, Hey, that'd be pretty cool. I was like, if there's anything I could do, let me know. And he, you know, three seconds later, he's just like, Hey, what's your number? Give me, you know, and I, I sent it back to him. It was on Twitter and, and he, and he gave me a call and he was like, Hey, I want to, this is what I I'm thinking. I said, well, I could put you in touch with Larry and Larry Landon, Landon, the, PHPA. Head of the PHPA. And by the yeah, way, said, biz yourself and, and me, we were all ECHL yeah. all-stars together in 2007. So yeah, we, <laughs> a, a great kinship here, you know, that's lasted three sure. years. <laughs> so that it just started there to where he gives me way more credit for helping the, the, the relief fund that he started getting going. And it was more me connecting him with some people. And um, we had a lot of PHP calls, as you know, as reps when that stuff's going on. So I took it maybe upon myself to, to maybe speak up a little more knowing being the older guy, but he, he did a tie. I didn't, I didn't do that. I just, I don't, <laughs> like I like the credit he kind of gives me for that, but I appreciate it. But there was a lot of guys involved in that. He was huge and guys were very thankful to, to get paid. We would have been owed throughout the rest of that season is what we ended up getting. So it was awesome. Um, Amazing. but, um, we just kept in touch and, and he had mentioned, he saw we weren't playing that year and, um, something about games came up and I said, yeah, I, I thought I'm going to play again. I just be a long, tough year off. And he said, Oh, and it was, I forget how it came up, but I said, yeah, I'm kind of, I said, I'm stuck on nine seventy five. I said, I, I, I missing this year. I'd like to get that at, at another 25. And he's like, he's like, Oh, no kidding. He's like, well, when the schedule comes out, he goes, let me know. Maybe we can do something for it. It'd be pretty cool. And, and, uh, and sure enough, it, the season kind of, and he kept keeping in touch. He's like, Hey, what he goes, do you know when your schedule is yet? I said, yeah. I said, I said, if I play every game, it should be this game before Christmas and whatever. And he said, okay. And he's, when you'll be talking, you, you won't hear back. And then like weeks later, he'll be like, Hey, so I talked to so-and-so I talked, we're thinking of doing this. He's, can you get me in touch with your president one day? He says, we can have someone there. He goes, I'm doing this series, this jungle series. He said, we'd like to do an episode on you hitting a thousandth game. He goes, but since it'd be on the road, can we, can we maybe do a celebration at home? We can uh, set it up with your, your, your team and stuff. And I said, well, let me get you in touch with them. And, and once it got to their hands, they stopped really including me because they didn't want me to know anything that was going on. Whitney knew my wife knew more. I didn't know anything. 
until that day, which, which brings the overwhelming side of it. I was like, tell me because I got to play a game here. There's this whole pregame stuff. I'm like, I don't let, you don't like the unknown as a hockey player, right? Like I got to play a game tonight. And, yeah. I'm like, and I'm like, this is off the wall. And I'm like, what's he going to do? Like, is this, is this like, do I need to know what's going on? And she, I mean, and is she there going to be bear going. wrestling at center ice? What's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, right? She's just, she swore to me. She's like, I'm not telling you you're it's going to be awesome. And, and sure enough, it's, it was more than I could even imagine. Like they did a silver stick for me, the same one. And he's like, <laughs> Biz leaned over when he gave it to me. He's like, this thing costs more. Cause all the logos we had to put on this. <laughs> <laughs> the engraving. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's the detail. The stick is amazing. They did the, they did a, they took one of my, one of my jerseys and they get the guy do the painting on the back of it over the number. Like you've seen them do. And, and for some of the NHL guys, it's, it was, cr- it's crazy. The stuff I have, the, I think the video episode is supposed to come out um, this summer sometime. I don't know the date. So I, I, yeah. uh, but I know it's coming out. It's going to be, that'll be a cool thing to, to have for my son to see, you know, uh, for years on year. Cause he's only three. I don't know how much he would remember. For, I actually, I should. Cause he, he says he keeps wanting to watch the video on YouTube. He just wants to watch daddy hockey on YouTube. And we, that he sees the video of one of the thumbnails is with biz and me and holding him and my wife. And that's biz. And I'm like, how are you kidding me? Cause biz came to the house and he played goalie for him, put the mask on and everything. And he made him do it. And he goes, I said, yeah, he goes, yeah, biz play goalie. I'm like, you're, you're not, this kid's crazy, but it's, uh, it had an impact. And you scored the empty netter that night. (laughs) I did with, with Biz on the call at the time in the broadcast booth too. So there's a lot of storybook that night where we won. I had an assist and a goal. Um, it was, it was so cool. Um, can't thank those guys enough. Uh, like I said, so overwhelming. Like it, yeah. that doesn't I happen can't, to us. I can't wait to see it come out. I'm really excited for it. And I, I got asked to do a little cameo for it. And of course I did yeah. my best. I did my best stone cold, Steve. Austin. <laughs> so I, I did the best I could uh, to try to riff on our, on our wrestling yeah. love. And, uh, it was and that's awesome. been a lot of I fun. I do remember me, seeing man. that. Yeah. yeah we've yeah. got, you know, we've got a whole, a whole chain of, of a couple of us that have been in hockey for a long time that we go back and forth with wrestling. And, you know, yeah. you just described how, you know, your son, it's, it's really cool that, you know, he'll have memories of you as a hockey player too. Like I, then that was a driving factor for me with my youngest daughter. I think even for me, even just playing yeah. my last year pros, I knew she was going to be turning three. And I remembered my youngest memories when I was about three years old at a racetrack, I'm like, maybe she'll remember. So yeah, yeah. that stuff mattered to me. Um, and I can't thank you enough for, for coming in and filling in so admirably for Scott Burnside and Scotty, of course, approved. I know you guys had a, a great yeah. talk earlier this year and had an article yeah. that um, came out on your story. So um, this has been another episode of the suitcase and the scribe this time with two suitcases, Derek Nesbitt, <laughs> myself, Mike McKenna, uh, Nesby, Nezzy, thanks so much for joining today. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 